0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I made it easy for you, okay? These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other uh, men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it had started so, so well for, for them, just amazing, fantastic, and then it felt like when it collapsed, it just went, bam, all at once. Talking about the nation of Israel, not the Charger game last night. <laughs> Our prayer team is on high alert today. I'm telling you, man, that was... That was brutal. I'm sorry. To, I'm not rubbing that in. I feel your pain. I was here uh, during the service checking the score. It was 27 to nothing, and I thought, okay, I'll just check it. I had an appointment after church last night. Walked out of that appointment and went, how in the world? It's a bit of what happens here in the book of, of, of Nehemiah, this story. Some of you are wondering, what is going on here? Did the church have some rain leaks and just a construction project? No, the book of Nehemiah really is a description of a massive build a massive reconstruction project for the city of Jerusalem and to reestablish God's people back in the nation of Israel. In order to understand this, what's going on here, we need some context to know that God had chosen the nation of Israel from way back in the day, Abraham and Moses, and they get established there in the promised land, and it goes well for them when... (laughs) When they do things God's way, when it doesn't, when they don't think things God's way, it just goes sideways and south, and it goes sideways and south for different reasons. And finally, in 605 BC, there'll be a timeline up here on the screen in just a second. It's also on the note sheet that you uh, have on the back of your program there. In 605 BC, the na- the world superpower at that point was Babylon, modern day Iran, Iraq in that region. It comes in, they're conquering the whole world. They come in, they conquer Israel. In particular, they conquer the remaining part of Israel down in the south called the two tribes down there in the south region of Israel called Judah. And they take the best and the brightest back to Babylon to train them in the culture and the ways of Babylon. They want to get the best and the brightest from all over the world and get that all in their city, in their their capital. Uh, you read the book of Daniel, some of you will know that story from Sunday school if you went to church as a kid, Daniel and the lion's Dan. that all happens in Babylon. Daniel and his friends were some of the first exiles, because the exile happened kind of in three stages, starting in 605 B.C. But God had prophesied, he said, you're going to be there for 70 years. And sure enough, 70 years later, within 70 years, uh, Babylon was on the decline, and The Medes and Persian Empire was was rising up. They were conquering everybody. And they came in and they conquered Babylon. It even describes that in the book of Daniel when King Belshazzar was there and was king. And their their deal with how they managed their empire was not to say, we're going to go bring everybody back to our homeland here. We said, it's hard to rule countries from a distance without any of the people there that are part of that country, that know the culture, that know the weather, that know how things work there. And I said, no, make no mistake, we're not letting you establish your own country again. You're under the Persian Empire, but we're going to let you go back there and rebuild your cities, rebuild your temples, rebuild your culture, rebuild all of that. We're going to be all oh, of the big umbrella over it all. And that happens in 536 B.C. The book of Ezra describes what happens. A man named Zerubbabel get sent back with a whole team of people, and they rebuild the temple that's in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. They rebuild the, rebuild the temple, and then several years later, uh, a guy named Ezra comes back, and he records what has happened there in the rebuilding, but not just rebuilding of the temple, but rebuilding their culture, rebuilding their identity, re- rebuilding, calling them back to, to this idea. It does no good to have a temple that honors God if we don't honor Him. So let this renewal and and recommitment and all that. And now it's been about 90 years. Not all of the people who had been scattered all over the empire have come back. Only a few have come back to Israel. And a guy named Nehemiah, who's the guy whose book who records this all for us, he, he gets news about his homeland about 90 years after The people come back and rebuild the temple. So it's about about 160 years since they were exiled. The nation was, the Babylon conquered them. That Nehemiah gets word about this. And you can see what what Justin just read for us. He's distraught about it. He weeps and mourns. He doesn't know really what to do. He tells the king about it. And here's the crazy thing, guys. Our, Our subtitle of the series, Accomplishing Great Things for God. In 52 days, a butler Rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. Rebuilds that city there. That's crazy. And what you're going to find here, its crazy about it, is not one time in the whole book of Nehemiah is there a supernatural miracle that makes it all happen. You know how it happened? People got to work. God put a team together. Uh, We have some things here as a church that we feel like God is calling us to accomplish some significant things for God as a... uh, we're a church. We want to call ourselves like a kingdom outpost here. We're part of God's great kingdom. We're deployed out here to make some trouble, to, to go out there and call people out of darkness into light, to see things restored and, and rebuilt like what Nehemiah's uh, going to do here. And so we're going to use this next four, five, six weeks in the book of Nehemiah to unpack and unfold some of that before us. We also want to... Have you asked yourself the question, what is that thing that God's calling me to do? And here's the little message in a moment today. God may be calling you to rebuild something in your life. There may be something in your life that's a mess right now. It might be like the walls of, you get news of it and go, man, it's a hot mess here in my marriage, in my finances, with my kids, with work situations, with, you know, whatever's going on. But oftentimes, here's what's important. It's, it's not that your life is a mess. Your life, the walls of your life, your city, you might be great. You're going, like, I'm good. Sometimes it's not what God wants to do in you. It's what he wants to do, look right at me, what God wants to do through you to help somebody else whose life is a shambles or to help a situation that you hear about going, man, there could be a cool thing that we could do here that could be awesome for God. So it's accomplishing significant things for God. Now, what we know about Nehemiah is that he's the son of Hacaliah. For those of you that are our millennials and Gen Zers that are going to get pregnant and have kids, I dare you. Come on, somebody please do that. Hakaliah. That would be a great name. You're always naming your kids weird names anyway. Just choose that one. I know I'm old. Shut up. Get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> and we find out in chapter 1, verse 11, at the end it says that, look at there, it says, In those days I was the king's cupbearer. That's just a fancy title for, I was like the butler for the king. He oversaw everything the king had to eat and drink. Uh, Now, the reason he oversaw it, it was both for the quality of the ingredients and the quality of it, because the king gets what the king wants. And, And so the king has clear things that he wants, and you have the best chefs out there, but because of things back then, if, if there was unrest in the empire and if somebody didn't like this or that about the king, you can read about this in history all the time, kings got regularly poisoned by, by people in their palace because it was hard to control that. So Nehemiah was the guy that before the king ever ate anything, Nehemiah took a bite and took a drink of everything the king ate and drank, which would be kind of awesome because you're getting the best food, but it's also like the king's watching going, go ahead, Okay, now we can eat. He didn't fall over dead, so he's certainly there's some pressure on that job. But honestly, he's we're going to find out, too, he's at the fortress. You'll see it there in verse 1, the fortress of Susa. Susa is the capital city of the Persian Empire. It would have unparalleled military might surrounding it, unparalleled security for the empire, and luxury like you can't believe. The arts, the food, the clothing, all of it, It would have been at the best. And here's Nehemiah, a guy who's not even from Persia. He's from the nation of Israel. He's never um, seen his wall broken down because he was probably the third or fourth generation born in exile to parents that uh, got exiled and taken away from Israel. Uh, He becomes aware of what's going on here, and something in his heart gets captured to go we got to do something about this. But he's not quite sure what to do. And, and you'll see there that he, he weeps and mourns and he feels called to accomplish something for God, but he's not quite sure, what am I going to do about this? I don't know what God's calling you to do, to accomplish something significant for him maybe in your life. Uh, may, so for some of us, it's like I said, it's maybe some things in your marriage Maybe it's some things in your finances. Maybe it's some habits, addictions. Maybe it's even just simple things like your health and and personal fitness and that. Maybe it's some secret sins kinds of stuff with shopping, with food, with pornography, with immorality, stuff like that. And if you look at your life, you go, man, my life, it all looks good on the outside. Here's what I know about our city here in Temecula Marietta. We all drive nice cars, live in great houses, and we got piles of rubble everywhere in people's lives. People's lives have fallen apart, and sometimes you go, what are we going to do about this? How? And So maybe it's that. Maybe it's what God wants to do in you to rebuild something, to say, i got hope for you. It may feel hopeless, but I have hope for you today to see, watch what I can do to rebuild something. It may be, again, not something God wants to do in you, but what God's going to do through you. You're going to see a massive massive need out there, and maybe this won't be up on the screen to write down, but we have this idea of problems and opportunities. Sometimes opportunities come disguised as problems. They look like, oh my God, what can we do about this? This It's terrible. This has happened here at at Crosspoint. Sometimes too, sometimes what God's going to call you to do to help somebody out is not so much to rebuild a wall, but maybe to make sure the wall never collapses in the first place. This is what you do to those of you that work with our kids men and, and student ministries here. You say, look, we can just go, oh, these kids are going to hell. Like What if somebody could go in the other way? What are we going to stop to this and make sure this doesn't happen? To to get involved in in ministries like Grief Share, where people's lives are falling apart and the shambles and the wreckage of all that kind of stuff, to go, let's do something about that, not just stand back and go, well, it's like, who am I to do that? I'm just mm, whatever here. We, We have stuff going on here with our men's and women's ministries that are fantastic, not just to help you as men and women, but also what our men's and women's ministries have felt called into to make a difference outside the walls of this church, amazing things they're doing. I was talking to Kevin, who oversees our men's ministry here. And and he got some men involved there in some stuff. Um, One of the things is power ministries, where they go uh, to the border of of Temecula, uh, Temecula, the border of Texas and Mexico. And years ago, some guys went, we got to do something about that. And we can go, what can we do? And they just started showing up with some dudes. And now today, there's like 80 to 100 guys that show up three or four times a year, and work on both sides of the border. Dudes, if you want to hear about that, it's an amazing thing to ever be part of something like that, and it's only for dudes. I know, girls, you could work, you're HGTV specialists. This is only for dudes. (laughs) It's only for dudes. I don't make the rules about this. It's not even our thing. It's somebody else that runs it, but dudes, you should go to it. Check it out. It would be awesome for you to put that on your connection card, and we'll have somebody contact you about that. But Kevin was also telling me about this thing where, one of the, the dirty little secrets about the United States of America is that, that trafficking and prostitution is not something that's just overseas. Even the child stuff that's going on is happening. One of the hot, the hot spots are here in the United States of America. And you can look at that and go, what can we do about that? Why it just seems so big and it's just, who am I? I'm just Nehemiah, a cut Barrow. What could I do? I'm just a plumber. I'm just an IT specialist. These guys heard about this ministry thing. What these guys do, it's awesome. They go place fake ads. And then these dudes, these unregenerate, black-hearted, evil men, call these numbers, but they're not actually calling a number for that girl. They're calling a number, and these guys get on the phone with them and say, what are you doing, pal? And not just to yell at them, but go, how can we help? Because clearly there's some things that have been broken down in your life. And look, we're probably not going to solve that problem all at once by just a few guys doing that, but you know what we're gonna do? Maybe for five or six or 10 or 50, 100 guys, we're gonna put a stop to that over there so that that life and the children of that marriage and the spouse of that family doesn't collapse and get just obliterated by by that. Um, There's probably more things here. Yeah. Uh, Shane and Pia here at Crosspoint just looked at some marriages, yeah. (laughs) Over, they just saw some things with marriages and going, look, there's some marriages that need some help, and not some of them are in like absolute collapse. They're you're a hot mess. Others of them are like, hey, we can see some things that are some parts of the wall that have, are collapsing over here and breaking down, and some foundation things that are we got to do some work there. And so they, like, okay, it's just us. But we could do something there. And started the whole marriage ministry thing going on here. Check that out. Put a note if you have a, some questions about that. Get involved there. Years ago, I remember. I'm not going to embarrass her because she's here today. Uh, Cheryl Inswa, <laughs> those of you that know her, uh, was on a missions trip to Kenya and, and saw not the cute little children they put on all the brochures to move your heart to give money to ministries, because those are cu- oh, This is the street boys, the gangs of, of dangerous, scary boys sniffing glue on the streets out by the hundreds outside of, the, of, uh, of where we were at in the various cities and thought, who am I? She said, somebody's got to do something about this. And she's gone there now and has spent now, I think, it's 10 or 12 years now spending half of her time there in Kenya, half of her time here in the States. We give, you guys give money, some of you are supporting what she's doing there. This is again, Cheryl's life is in good space. She doesn't need anything rebuilt in her life, but there's a mess out there, an opportunity out there. Let's do something about that. And whenever that happens, you're going to have a tendency to think, well, who am I? Or the problem is just so big. It's, it's just, it's, it's incomprehensibly big. What could I possibly do about this? And then sometimes, you know what happens? Sometimes the problem is so big and it's been going on for so long. <sighs> we just got used to it. And we have that, I don't know who the band is, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. What can you do? Always going to have the poor, always going to have sex trafficking, you're always going to have marriages falling by, Oh, well, just throw your hands up and go, just the way it is. And Nehemiah says, that may be the way it is, but that's not the way it's going to be. So at some point we go, I'm going to do something here. And he had this calling on his life. Now, whenever this happens, when you're going to jump into something like this, it's always easier to sit back and go home and binge watch the latest version of Yellowstone, which they have like four different franchises out now for that. Or, well, we're going to have football on. It's like probably some of you are checking the scores right now, so make sure you're... (laughs) Make sure your phone's on silent right now so you don't end up playing the game for everybody here and give away the score. But yeah, it's easier just to sit and do nothing. Making a difference, look right at me. Making a difference for God, doing something significant for God will always involve you moving out of your comfort zones. Whether it's something in your own personal, like guys, I get it. My marriage is just whatever, so I just kind of leave it alone, just leave it there. It's like, it's just the way it is. Or you can say, what if we go, let's get uncomfortable here for a bit. Let's get to some, let's do some stuff. Be easier to sit back and just watch stuff happen and go, what could I do? It's just the way it is. What can we do here? It's always gonna involve moving out your comfort zone. Look at Nehemiah. He's got like a premier job closest to the king, certainly some pressure and stress to it, but he's got a system managed now here where he trusts the people around him to stay at the palace, unparalleled security and luxury. Somebody else. Let somebody else do that. What, what? look at me? What if you're somebody else? what if you're somebody else? So when this happens, when you see a, a crisis or a problem, something can be done about this, uh, the first thing we have to do, the first thing to write down today maybe is identify the need. This is the title of the message today. Houston, we have a problem. This is, we can't just pretend and go, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, it may be a honking, stinking, massive big deal. Houston, we got a problem here. We, there's something going on here. But it's not just identifying the need, because identifying the need, you know what that is? That starts right up here. I can cognitively see there's a problem out there. Almost all the problems in our culture right now, everybody knows what they are. But it moves from identifying the need to identifying with the need when it gets down into your heart and soul. You start to identify with the need. So you tell it's personal for you, it really won't last. And he doesn't retreat from it. It says that he weeps and mourns. Look at verse 4 again. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, and look how he prays here. He says this. If you have your Bible here with a pen or pencil, you're going to mark some things up here. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, Listen to my prayer. I love the boldness of this. This is not, um, God, if if you're not too busy, could you help? It's like, hey! (laughs) Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that, some of you have your Bibles, what's that next word there? We. In your own Bibles, I have like a big arrows to that, bold-faced, underlined, circled, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiles to the ends of the earth... I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You know what he's doing there? He's calling God out. Hey, you said this. He's not just reminding God about it; reminding himself about it. See, here's the deal, guys. You might have jacked up your life, be jacked up, messed up stuff up there. God goes, look, I told you. If you kept doing this, it's gonna go bad for you. He goes, but even in the places of exile, even when you feel like there's no hope, and it feels like things are just in piles of rubble, 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 and shambles back over here. There's always hope. There's always hope, he says. Reminds God of that. He says, the people you rescued, verse 10, by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. You know what Nehemiah doesn't pray for? A miracle. No one there to do. Go, God, just rebuild the wall. You know what he prays for? He prays for an opportunity. Sometimes too, we are, we are lazy Christians because we go, God just, Bing! we want God to be Tinkerbell. And I go, hey pal, I got stuff for you to do in this. So what we pray for is God, open up opportunities here, open up doors, make the King favorable to me. He, he, uh, when it comes to, once we've identified the need, there's a two-step process Well, actually three things we're going to talk about here. The first one is we need to patiently pray. The next one is patiently plan. These will both work in dynamic synergy and sometimes even tension with each other. Um, He reminds himself of God's promises. And one of the things I, I want to point out to you here, I think it's so important. Sometimes when there's a mess out there in your life or a mess out there in your work or in your family, or in the economy, or in our country, it's so easy to go, oh, things are a mess. Look what they've done. Look what they've done over there. This is America today. Look at the, the posts out there. Anything political, you know what it's always about? Not one Republican will post. We Republicans have jacked this country up, not one of them. You know what we do? It's the stupid Democrats over here. And Democrats are just as bad. We all do it to each other. Nobody ever takes responsibility going, we jacked this thing up. We made a mess of this thing. Nobody does this. We, we do this. Uh, I live and work in the church world. Obviously, we had a pastor and stuff. And I'll see people all the time talk about, oh, the church in America today, the church in the West. It's just a mess. And they love to the blog or post about it or post YouTube, TikTok, the church this, the church this. And just meh, 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 meh all the time. And what they come with is problems they want to just whine and gripe and complain about with no solutions to fix it, taking no responsibility fact, I look, pal, you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. As a, as a, maybe you should take some responsibility for yourself. And maybe if you would be quiet and get to work on it instead of just meh, meh, meh about it. Uh, those of you that are 25 years old and younger, People might easy do apologize to you because in the last, I've, it's, I'm, I'm the old guy in the room now. I didn't used to be the old guy in the room. I'm not the old guy in the room. We have done this. I have done this. This whole classic ridiculous thing about, man, this next generation, the kids these days. And we're going, What's, where's the future for America? I'm going, who's the moron that raised those kids? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't call you morons. <laughs> Fools. I don't know. Here's the thing we do too. Here's the big thing going on right now. Man, kids these days—all you do—they're just you, right. You see this? Oh my gosh, they're just and go. Okay, who was the person that at six years old gave them digital cocaine? You got them addicted to it, and now you're going, "Oh my God, what's going on with my kid here?" We did it to him. Take some resp- instead of whining. We're never get- here's the deal. Here's why it's important because we're never getting anything done if we start blaming people for the mess out there. This is even look at me for a second because some of you today. I know some of your stories, the things that have happened to you personally, the abuse, the harm that you have suffered at the hands of somebody else is not your fault, and it's very, very, very right and just if, like, man, somebody did th- something to me and hurt me, the things that are going on in our world, even in our culture where there's problems created, you might go, look, I had nothing to do with that, and so it's very easy, It'd be easy for Nehemiah to go, look. I wasn't back in Jerusalem 160 years ago when the walls got demolished and I wasn't part of that thing 90 years ago when they sent people back to rebuild it and those guys just got complacent and just sat there. I'm over here doing my job but instead he takes personal responsibility. It says we, not they. Here's why this is important. For those of you who've had your lives jacked up by the actions of somebody else, it's not your fault But your life is your responsibility. Your life is your responsibility. I love the soundtrack of that as that came on. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Your life is your responsibility because here's what will happen. The longer it's, look at me, especially for those of you who have been significantly harmed by people. It's very, very easy and very, very even normal. It's going to feel like to look back at what they did to you. And go, man, if it hadn't been for them, my life wouldn't be where it is today. My life wouldn't be in shambles with what my ex did to me, with what my parents did to me, with a coach, a teacher, with what, ha- whatever happened there. If it hadn't happened to me like that, I, I didn't do anything. I just got, was a victim in all of this. And you're right, you were a victim. But just because it's not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility to go, okay, what do I do to move forward now? Because if you don't, you're going to stay stuck with piles of rubble everywhere around in your life. Because again, those people who did that to you they're living rent-free in your head, and they are not going to do one dang thing to help fix you. They're not doing anything. They've long, probably long forgotten about you. That's how evil and terrible they are. At some point, you got to go, we got to do something about this. And I need to recognize that maybe at some level, I've got some culpability in this. And even if I don't have any culpability, even if I was 100% innocent of all of this, I still got to take action moving forward here. Otherwise, my life, the church I'm a part of, the country I'm a part of, the things I'm a part of are just going to stay in shambles. It's going to take people taking responsibility when we pray, when we do that. Not just blaming uh, and calling out all the people who've made a mess out of things. I want you also to see what he does. He also patiently plans. And it never actually narrates how he plans, but look at the next, look at chapter two now. It tells us there, early the following spring, if you look at verse 1, it's late autumn and now it's the following spring, so it's probably anywhere from 60 to 80 days later when Nehemiah has heard about this problem and doesn't know what to do and has no authority to quit his job. He's just going, "I, I don't know what to do here. God, help me open up some doors here and nothing's happened, but in late In the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. This is the whole checking the food and making sure it's okay. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. You know why he's terrified? Because you made the king sad in the king's presence. There was no civil rights. There was none of that stuff. Just go out and kill that guy. Give me a guy who's happy. And there was no scandal about that. It wouldn't have made the paper like, well, yeah, don't be sad in the king's presence unless you want to die. So he's terrified, but I replied, long live the king. (laughs) How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked, well, how can I help you? (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation like this in an interview? In a big decision, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I said, like, oh, God, help the boy. Help me right now. Help me. I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will he be gone when we return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. How does Nehemiah know how long he's going to be gone for? You know what he's doing for 60 to 80 days while he's praying? He's also planning, thinking through, okay, if we do this, and I know how big the city is, if he, I got reports back from there, and we had to do, he, he knew. I got get an idea about how long I think this might take to get things reestablished there. And the king asked how, how long we would be gone, but Nehemiah knows if the king ever asks how he can help, I already have my answer ready of what I'm going to need to do this. So he is not just patiently prayed, He's also done the hard work of patient planning. Look what he says here. I also said to the king, that this is again, for those of you that are ever going to sell anything, you're ever trying to get something to happen, you always have the same answer ready no matter what the question is. If somebody asks how I can help, you have the same, be ready to go with that answer. Because if you're not ready to go with that answer, if you just walk in there and go, well, God just led me to do this. And they go, well, how can I help? And you go, uh, 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 give me no you, you have some answers ready for him I also said to the king if it please the king look at this let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah so I, this is for security detail this is we're going into harm's way here and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph the manager of the king's forest instructing him to give me not sell me, give me timber, I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. These, he, he, he asks the king, the king asks how I can help, and Nehemiah, because he didn't just go over there and pray and just hope that God would do something, because he sat down and got some spreadsheets out and started talking to people because what does Nehemiah know about building anything? You know who he talked to? Probably found some engineers. Probably found some people who own a construction company who've done some work there and said, so, well, if we're gonna do this, help me out here. And so he got all of his stuff together so that when the opportunity he presented itself, remember that's what he's praying for, God. If you're praying for an opportunity, you gotta be ready to go when the opportunity presents itself. Because that doesn't happen very often. You gotta be ready to go. So Nehemiah's Ready to go. And here's the problem with this, is that we tend to have two extremes of this. Uh, and, and, and both of them are good things. We have people uh, that, maybe this is you, when God puts them in your heart, you're just going to pray, you're going to trust God, you're going to believe God, you're people of passionate and emotion and strong faith, just going to trust God over here. But if you just trust God and do this over here and don't make any plans, then when it comes time to execute and make, God's going to answer your prayer, will will be ready for it. On the other hand, we have people over here like me that tend to be more like uh, the little, little phrase I use around here is "ready, fire, aim." From time, see, here's the deal: acting, moving too slow is a problem. Moving too fast is a big problem too. And if all we to do is people like plan, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, we sometimes act too fast and, and fast and and we make a mess out of things. So if you just want to slow down for a bit. See, what praying and planning does, working these things in dynamic tension together, it helps you... Proverbs talks about this, the idea of discernment. And one of the things you have to clarify when something grabs your heart is, does it really have my name on, on this? People that are passionate about things will oftentimes be able to present something to you powerfully, beautifully about, man, you should do this. And so they'll, you should get involved in this and all that. And you go, oh, yeah, okay. And especially if you get great music with great Sarah McLachlan kind of commercials. <laughs> Every time I see one of those things, I want to give her $1,000. I mean, that does, yeah, it just moves, right? moves your heart. People can do that kind of thing. To move your heart, you have to clarify, okay, does this have my name on it? Which means we don't just go <laughs> impulsively act. We pray, we plan, we think it through. Uh, And sometimes it doesn't. I'll give you a couple examples from my life. And these might be helpful to you. About uh, 14, 15 years ago, Denise and I were at a place where our kids were all moved out of the house on their own. We raised fantastic adults. They were living, working, doing great. We thought, man, we hear all the time about the the kids in foster care. And just needing the, the city of Riverside County needs all kinds. of. Let's do that. So we did all the classes for it. We talked to people who were doing foster care, who were, had actually brought children into their home. We thought, this is awesome. This would be amazing. We did the home study thing where they have to come in and tell you what you have to do, this, this, and this. And after a while, you know what happened, though? It didn't go anywhere. And we discerned, okay, that wasn't us being disobedient. It's just our name wasn't on that for that moment for all kinds of reasons. About 20 years ago, I was working at a great church down in North County, San Diego. Loved the church. It had risen like in terms of like the church world I'd risen to the of the senior pastor role at a church of six 000, seven thousand people it was awesome and I loved it. I wasn't burnt out but then this dumb idea got in my head about coming to Temecula and planting a church <laughs> I thought well, that's just dumb why would I want to do that I mean I really I was fine I was happy I wasn't I, things were going great but that idea landed there it kept staying there and I kept I started praying about it kind of kind of, kind of, kind of Mental map, okay, how would that work? What will we do here? And what's the city like? And who, how many churches are there? And how many people are moving there? And some of that. But I told God, I said, Look, here's the deal. Um, If you're going to do this, you have to not just clarify this in my heart, you have to confirm this by opening some doors here. One of the key doors was, He said, I said, unless Denise is happy and excited about this, I'm not going. I can't have my wife here going, Well, if you really want to, I don't want to. Like that would just be a disaster. And then at one point, I'll, you can hear all the details in that story later on. It was like she talked about, let's go look at houses in Temecula. I thought, well, maybe this is an open door here or something like that. Then we, uh, several months later, after we had announced it to the church where I was currently working, I got this phone call. I said, this is Katie Johnson. I'm the principal of the newest elementary school here in Temecula, uh, Abbey Renke Elementary. She said, uh, I've heard about this and you should come to my school and start your church at my school because that's how churches get started. Like, I didn't have to ask. It was crazy. All the, the way God just started to confirm that and at some point, you know what happened was it, was it was no longer about I wonder if we should do this or what about this. Now I had to do it. <laughs> now I had to. It just got in my heart. It, just, it stayed in there. And so in the midst of that, you want to patiently pray you want to patiently plan, do all those things together, and in the meanwhile, do not miss this. You need to stay patiently productive in the present. Nehemiah doesn't go, oh, God called me to do it, and so I'm going to go out there and go out there, and we're going to just leave this place here and commit treason and be on the run from the army, leaving this post, because God's called me to do this, dang it. No, he stays productive. Do you see what it says here? He says, if it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, you know why he could say that? Because he knew the king was pleased with him. He was doing a fantastic job right where he was. Not looking out there going, well, someday when I get to my dream job out here to rebuild and do the thing God's called me, right here in this kind of, eh, job of tasting food for the king, he kept doing a great job. See, guys, this is going to be, as, as you fulfill the calling on your life, as you fulfill this great thing for God, as we do this even as a church, we stay productive right here in the present. We don't just look out towards the future and think, maybe someday if we could get our own this or our own that, or if we could get this much money or we could do all that stuff, maybe someday when my marriage gets like this, or someday when my job gets like this, or when I get that promotion. No, right now. At this mid-level, entry-level thing, do a great job right where you're at because here's what's going to happen. You're going to learn things in that particular situation, in your marriage, with your kids, where it feels like nothing's really happening. You're going to learn things right there going to help you later on. How to lead things, how to, how to, how to make decisions, all that. And you're also going to get the resources that you need from people there. See, that these resources aren't going to come out of nowhere. You know where they came from? Because he was doing a great job for his boss, and the boss could open some doors for him of fantastic resources. Nehemiah had no ability on his own to do fundraising and raise the kind of money and capital and security detail he was going to need to go back there and rebuild that city. You know who did it for him? God put it on the king's heart. Because he was patiently praying, patiently planning. As the band comes up right now, I encourage you to read ahead in Nehemiah for the next few weeks. You'll get more out of this as you dive into this more, um, and, and you're ready for it. I wonder, though, today, what is it God wants to do in you right now? Are there some things in your life? And maybe you're, look at me, maybe the whole wall isn't in shambles of your life, but maybe there's some areas over here. In the northwest quadrant you haven't been for a while, you go, oh, that thing is jacked up over there. Maybe it's time to go even go rebuild part of your life over here. Maybe God's going to put something on your heart in your own personal life. Maybe something for some things that are going on here in in the city. I remember years ago when uh, Chrissy Ellen came to me and just talked about these families here that are struggling. And we don't have like crazy like third world poverty here. But some people are struggling here. The church should do something about that. I said, you're dang right. The church should. And you're so passionate about it. Let's go. And she started Hope's Closet. She just saw something out there. So what are those things that God's put on your heart going well, it's a problem, but you know, who am I to do anything about this? I, God's, if God's put on your heart, start praying, start making plans, and be productive in your present right now, and then just watch what God does to clarify that, to refine that, and then to see that vision come to a reality, because Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, and 52 days later, the city's been rebuilt. It's crazy we'll look ahead to that next week maybe we'll a chance to respond to this right now right here today every week here at cross point we have our prayer team at the back of the house there may be things today in your heart and soul that are just weighing on your heart and soul today you look at the yeah, i got some piles of rubble here maybe not a whole city but some sections of this that i just have just grown so used to it just being a whatever maybe it's time to get back there and chat with them about that let somebody pray with you about that We're going to give you a chance to come to tables of communion. If you're newer to church and God and Jesus, it's in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice. The bread symbolizes the crucified, broken body of Jesus. The juice symbolizes his blood. And Jesus says, on a regular basis, when you gather together, remember me. And I love this about this because Nehemiah is not the hero of the Bible, even the hero of the story. Jesus is. Because you know how Jesus rebuilt our lives? He allowed his to be torn apart. And his blood to be spilt, his body to be broken so that we could be restored and our lives could be rebuilt again. And then, guys, we're going to sing today. And um, how, how about we sing like we mean it? Because what we've received from God, what God has done in our lives to, to rebuild our lives. Because some of us today go, look, Steve, I, like my life over the years now has been rebuilt here. And I, I've, I've kind of grown like, yeah, whatever. God rebuilt my life, saved me from hell, and has restored my marriage, restored my life. We're like, yada, yada, yada. When's the next football game start? Stay present here in this moment. And, and celebrate. Not with a sense of pride, but with a sense of humility and gratitude for the amazing grace that, that rebuilt your life. Jesus, today... Just whatever you want to say and do here amongst us, just do that right here, right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out gotocrosspoint.com.